So, Russell, we're talking about legislative issues. Um, let's talk about the Endangered Species Act reform. Um, you know, con- Congress wants to modernize it. There's uh, obviously better science today, better economics. There's uh, uh, relaxations on critical habitat restrictions, incentive property owners, and giving states more authority. So where are we with that Endangered Species Act? And when did it start? Right. So, right. so you know, the thing about the Endangered Species Act is that it's supposed to do two things. Protect endangered species and allow economic development. The problem with the Endangered Species Act, it doesn't do either one very well. <laughs> it doesn't protect species, that's for sure. The species listed on there, how many have come not very many. And then, when it's listed, there's a list of things that property owners are not allowed to do on land that may be supported in endangered species many years ago. One has never been seen on there. Or, the other problem is, it could conceivably, on land that could conceivably support endangered species, a particular bird or critter, but that particular bird or critter has never actually lived on that property. But it could. So that means you can't do anything with it. Now that's a problem. Give property owners the right incentive to do the right thing. Allow them to do what they can do best on their land to protect that critter. And I guarantee you, if you do the right incentives, not give them carrots, not sticks, or give them carrots, don't beat them with a stick. Right. They will do the right thing. They will protect the property. They will protect the land. And they will also maximize the useful benefits of the land. But right now, the incent- there are no incentives. It's all sticks. It's all sticks. And so people don't care. They don't want to do the right thing. Right. So where are we with this? Is that is this some new reforms coming that's going to address that? Or? Well, I mean, we, you know, there's a lot of attention being paid to this issue by particularly Senator uh, John Barrasso from the state of Wyoming. He is the chair of the Senate. Uh, Environment and Natural Resources Committee, and is very interested in moving forward legislation that would uh, dramatically reform how the Endangered Species Act is implemented and um, administered. How long, and is, his, how long has this act been around? The Endangered Species Act itself has been around for, since 1974. Okay. It's been around a long time, um, so it needs to be it needs to be reformed. It needs to be updated, and modernized, and he wants to do that. Probably the biggest reform that he wants to do, he wants to give states more authority in protecting species within their within a state because they know how to do it the best. Of course. There's a lot of things the states know how to do the better than the federal government does. Now, the challenge is making sure that states have enough resources to do it. Right. They have the authority, but not every state has the, has the resources to do it correctly. And so that's going to be the real challenge, is making sure that the federal government, Congress, appropriates enough money to give the states to implement the Endangered Species Act correctly. That's what? probably going to be the biggest fight. Because you can authorize anything, but you know who holds the, the key? Who holds the real power? Who? The appropriators. The ones who give out the money. So you can, you can have all the authority in the world for different programs and uh, policies and things like that. If you don't have the money, you're not going to be doing a darn thing. 
So what's the status of that, and what, 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 what are you seeing in the future here? Well, he's introduced the bill. Recently? Recently. And uh, he's going to be holding some hearings on it and moving it forward. We're going to be supporting him because we think it's a good bill. Sure. And uh, we're hoping that uh, other senators and uh, are also of like mind with the Senator Barrasso and will move forward and support the bill and pass the bill, and then it goes to the House. And the House has got to pass the bill, and the President's got to sign it. Russell, so, let, me, let me ask you a question. Where can the public go and, like, find his proposed bill and all these other issues? I know there's government yeah, websites. Well, I mean, so it depends. I mean, uh, for this, you can go to the website of the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee. So is there, like, a menu on one website where you can disseminate uh, information on all these issues we're talking about today and other issues, or each one well, has their own little... Yeah, you know, for NFIP, you got to go to FEMA and other places. You know, it's not all one place. Right. Unfortunately, but, you know, these are very disparate issues with, uh, with uh, you know, it's all different kinds of stuff. Right. Now, NAR has got a great website that we have tons of stuff on there. Yeah, we do. Uh, that's probably one of the better resources, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah. We spend a lot of time and money on that. So you can go to the National Association of Realtor.com and AR.com, and uh, you can find these uh, uh, issues on there, or most of them, I'm sure. Anything else about the Endangered space, uh, Species Act? Species. It's not species. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just did a marijuana show, so. <laughs> uh, Maybe I'll be a little spacey. Yeah, you got it. What's going well, on? We'll talk about, you know, about, so, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Anything else we want to talk about that, and we'll move on to drones? No, we can move on. Okay, let's drone it. Just did, uh, uh, getting ready to do an auction in Virginia. On May the 4th, in Lambsburg, uh, for Interstate 77, right at the North Carolina border. Going to do over, let's see, a little over 400 acres and nine different tracks and four different locations. So uh, just putting the word out there. But we just droned, uh, which we use all yeah. the time, uh, the property. Right. Um, one of them, uh, it's, it's like uh, a quarter of a mile uh, on a walking trail to even get to the property. And, of course, you've got the interstate bordering one side, so you can't park your car and come in that way. And uh, so uh, thank God for drones because now we can feature the property, uh, you know, a mile away or half a mile away as it was. And uh, so what's going on, well, with, the, going right, on with that? You know, and, you know, I have to say that um, I foresaw this cottage industry growing of people who know how to operate drones. And you can take really beautiful pictures of property with a drone. Absolutely. And um, I said, you know what? If this regulation ever goes through that allows drones to be used for commercial purposes, there will be a cottage industry formed uh, that does just that. And sure enough, I, I think something is, I think it's, it's happening as we speak. And this is something new, right? Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I know it's been uh, around for a little while, but now we're getting, yeah. and FAA is the one that uh, rules this, right? They're the, the lead That's on that. Right. Yes, FAA, uh, Federal Aviation Administration is the one that regulates the use of drones. And so now they're allowed for commercial purposes. You can, you know, as a real tour, you can um, use them to take uh, pictures of a property, uh, movies, uh, have are using drones to uh, make movies. Um, utilities are using drones to inspect power lines and smokestacks and coal-fired power plants. Uh, buildings are using drones, like if you have a big skyscraper. Right. Not even a skyscraper. Um, they're using drones to inspect the uh, the outer um, the outer walls and bricks and making sure they're uh, you know, everything is good on the outside of the building. There are all kinds of ways. The only uh, thing right now is the fact that 
you have to keep that drone within your sight. You have to be able to see it. And you can't do it over crowd. <laughs> like at the ball game this weekend. <laughs> Did you see now, there, are, there are future regulations that will allow beyond line of sight operation of a drone, which means particularly for realtors and particularly ones who sell land, you can operate that drone two miles away. Right. Uh, it hasn't happened yet. There's, I'd say that's probably about five years off. Why is that taking so long? Well, you know, we want to make the FAA wants to make sure that it's done correctly. Because there are safety considerations that you have to think about. And we want to make sure that that um, that safety is number one. You don't want one of these drones flying into a helicopter or flying into an airplane. Right. And they've come close because there have been some really dumb people out there operating drones not safely. And so I think that's probably the... Uh, the number one issue for the FAA. We have to make sure that the uh, that the integrity of the uh, of our airspace is protected zealously, and so that's why you see them proceeding pretty cautiously with the beyond line of sight proposed regulation. So that's the biggest thing in the bill or proposed bill. Well, proposed regulation. Yeah, regulation. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the Farm Bill reauthorization. We just had an update on that here a couple months ago, and I think we had some good things happening, didn't we? Yeah. Um, so it was reauthorized in 2018. Uh, it's authorized about every every five years or so. And um, I think there are some good things in there. Okay, tell a us. A lot of people, I think the farmers were very happy with it. Um, and I think it, it really helps uh, with, in terms of conservation. It really provided a lot of good incentives for farmers uh, to conserve their land and put it into, um, put it in a program that will help preserve it as an agricultural amenity, as an agricultural it has value as agriculture, as agricultural. Now, one of the things that I was disappointed about uh, as the farm bill was being reauthorized, as it was being reauthorized, there were some terrible wildfires occurring. Not just in California, but in a lot of different places, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, big wildfires. And so... I would have loved to have seen more resources gone into helping fight those fires. Absolutely. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. So we're going to have to take a, another approach to make sure that, um, that these wildfires get the resources they need to fight them and put them out. Because that's a real problem. Well, also the, the conservation of it, too, you know, they... For years and years, you know, I mean, we've got several mountains right around here, and the local one's Pilot Mountain, which is about 3,800 acres, a state park. And, you know, every so often the old-timers say, well, they'd burn the mountain. What do you mean they'd burn the mountain? Well, they're burning the underbrush, the, the fire, you know, the dead stuff and the kindling. And years ago, the federal government put a stop to a lot of that stuff, didn't they? And now when we have these yeah. fires, it's a disaster because it's got all this kindling that could have been taken care of like it's been taken care of for thousands of years. Exactly. you got to yeah. have controlled burns. But more than controlled burns, you also have to provide property owners with the right incentives to remove a lot of the really big stuff Right. before the fires ever get started. Get rid of all that dead stuff that's been sitting there for decades and is dried out and just ready for spark. The uh, P3 conservation is on your slide. What is that? Public-private partnership. And again, it, it, it's really just 
uh, incentivizes um, uh, the public entities like the USDA to uh, search out private land for conservation purposes. And uh, I, I think that's a good, uh, a good approach. I like that. Anything else on the farm bill? Uh, no, I think, I think we're good with that. How about tax reform? There was a lot of stuff in the tax reform bill, 2007. Yeah. I mean, the thing about the tax reform, uh, you know, well, first of all, it protected 1031 lifetime exchanges. And if you're a realtor or a land realtor, you know about those and, and how important they were, just, or they are. Yep, just closed one two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so they were completely protected. You know, the other thing that... Um, the tax reform bill did um, was really um, kind of amazing. It hasn't gotten more press, but it really allows, if your business, and I know a lot of realtors have their business structured this way, if it's structured as a pass-through entity, you can deduct up to 20% of that. We took advantage of that, by the way. You did? Yeah, we sure did. Well, that's, that's perfect. Right. Um so I think right now, you know, um, the IRS is still in the process of, of um, clarifying exactly who can take advantage of this tax deduction, how they can take advantage of it. But I do know that some people did this year uh, in terms of their business taxes, and I think that's only going to grow as people really uh, get more educated about exactly what this can do. What is but a pass-through entity? I don't well, understand. Well, so theoretically, it's as a as a realtor, you have just set up a company, right? So you don't see as a realtor if you get uh, paid a commission. That commission is paid to your company, not right. to you. Right. And that is a pass-through entity. Oh, okay. So, like, you need to set up your own company. Right. So instead of paying Teresa Martin. Uh, United Country Real Estate Land Pro, my company, would now pay your company, and then you can exactly. take advantage of that. Okay. Okay? So you definitely right. need to – we're encouraging all of our agents to do that. Okay. And um, it's not that hard to do, and, and it gives you a lot more creativity and uh, saves you a lot of money. Do you set it up like a sole proprietor? It can or? be sole proprietor. It can be a partnership. It can be an S corporation, just uh, whoever your tax accountant is. Uh, let them advise you. Uh, mine's set up as a corporation. Okay. So – but that's good stuff. And that's the kind of situation where you're basically paying yourself a salary. The corporation is paying you a salary. Okay. So you get those benefits. As sure. A, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. As yeah. if you were working for a General Electric or, you know, corporation. Okay. Okay. Anything else on the tax reform? No, you know, I'm not a tax expert. I'm not either. I don't even claim to be. I don't even <laughs> pretend to be. That's why we have... Uh, some folks here in our office who are fantastic. We know every um, every inch of, of, of the tax reform bill. How many people in our office? Uh, here in Washington, D.C., in the whole building that we're currently are, we probably have uh, about 200 people. Really? And not just government affairs, but we also have our research department. Right. And we also have our uh, public affairs folks who are here. We have offices outside of Washington? Oh, yeah. Well, every, well, we have our headquarters, which is in Chicago. And then every state has their own state association. Right. For example, the North Carolina Association of Realtors. We do. Um, and then a lot of localities have their own, uh, their own board. Uh, for example, where I'm from, the, uh, the Memphis Board of Realtors. Right. Infrastructure. Yes, sir. Well, the, the joke here going around Washington, D.C. is the fact that, um, you know, every other week seems to be uh, infrastructure week, and then something happens and no one pays attention to it. <laughs> What's going <laughs> but, on with that? Uh, well, you know, there's always some other little drama that happens that you know, interferes with infrastructure. Uh, okay. 
But the fact is, infrastructure is critical for real estate markets and property values. For every $1 billion invested in infrastructure, there's an estimated 13,000 jobs are created. So think about it. Today, what did you do? You got up, you switched on a light, you turned on your water, you got in your car and drove to your office, you probably talked on your, on your iPhone, your mobile phone, used your computer. All that is based on infrastructure. Your power grid brought you electricity. Your water pipe brought you water. Your iPhone or your mobile phone is um, broadband, internet, and Wi-Fi. Obviously, your road, infrastructure, it's all infrastructure. The basic stuff of what makes up civilization and what allows us to do the things that we do. Without that, we're nowhere. We can't do anything. And it's crumbling. How are the potholes on your road today? <laughs> I know in D.C. There's, there's a lot of potholes. Yeah, I hit a couple today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And water pipes and sewer pipes that are 100 years old, or in some cases exactly. older. Yep. Transportation. So, you know, you know it's, it's critically important that we update and modernize our, all of our infrastructure systems. And that's pretty bipartisan, right? Extremely, completely bipartisan. Everyone wants to do it. You know the biggest challenge? <laughs> Come on, you know the biggest money. challenge. It's gotta money. Be, it's got to be money. <laughs> How are we going to pay for this? This is not going to be cheap. You can't do it on the cheap. So it's going to be expensive. Well, we just added to our national debt, you know, 22 trillion. Oh, go. Let's go to 24 or 26 trillion or 30 trillion or 50 trillion. You know, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So, listen, it's going to be expensive. But, but everybody uses it. Everybody uses water. Everybody uses electricity. Everybody uses the road. So we got to pay for it. Right. But there's some, catch up with other countries. But but some Which of the stuff that, some of the stuff they're talking about is joint venturing uh, with private enterprise. Um, sure. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I think that's a good approach. At least it seems to be. Well, if you pay for it because of it, the money just goes right back into the economy. Well, that's exactly right. This is an investment. Sorry. We've we've got our cheering audience. We've got other people yeah, coming in the station. Like so, yeah. <laughs> Hey, Molly and Shada, they're uh, protecting us. This is the first time that they've actually said it. Said it well, that's Boston. exactly right. <laughs> and it, what it, are they talking about? It, dep it, depend it, de it depends on the subject, Russell. And <laughs> that's and we, what I'm saying. Yeah. They love infrastructure. <laughs> you got their votes. Now, the other way you can do it, and this is a pretty controversial way, increase the gas tax, the federal gas tax. Right. The federal gas tax has not been increased since 1993. Is that the same for every state? Is that the same amount for every state, or is that very? That's the same amount for every state, but every state has their own gas tax, too. Sure, I understand. On top of all the other stuff. Right. And that varies. The state taxes vary. Right. The federal doesn't. The federal tax is 18 cents per gallon. 18? Now, 18 cents per gallon. Now, the, um, you know, the problem is the fact that... Um, People have been driving less, and the more uh, vehicles are more energy efficient, and the more you know electric vehicles and hybrid vehicles on the road. So the amount of gasoline people have been using has been going down, and that means less money into the highway trust fund, which is where the bulk of the money goes to spend on roads and mass transit. So the monies have been decreasing. But it's still it's still solid still solvent though, right? I mean, we do have money in the bank for that one, as opposed There's to a lot of programs we don't. That's not enough. Yeah, it's not enough money. But we at least we have some, as opposed to some we of these some. other programs yeah. that have none. 
like the flood insurance. There's never enough money. <laughs> exactly. So there's a real bipartisan opportunity here to do something that that is going to be a critical investment in our future economy. Will Congress do it? For a while there, there was a lot of discussion about it. Oh, man, we've got a great ideas here. Recently, uh, it's been... Um, they seem to have lost the momentum. They lost their mojo to get something done on this. Yeah. I don't think it's going to cross the finish line. And they're going to miss a big, important opportunity. But the public can help this along by communicating, get something done, right? Well, that's the idea, trying to get something done. We'll see. We're just a few minutes left, Russell, and this has been a great show. Um we just had um, a discussion on marijuana and cannabis. Is there anything going yeah. on? Just real quick, maybe spend a minute on that. Yeah. Well, there is actually um, some legislation uh, that would help banks, you know, address this question of they can't get involved in uh, marijuana because it's still a class one felony, they don't want to get in trouble. And so as a result, they don't, uh, and this is like the big bank, they don't get involved at all in in, um, in the marijuana cannabis industry, which, by the way, is a growing industry. Oh, yeah, we just heard some numbers. It's like crazy. It's a billion-dollar industry in some states, okay? Yeah. So there's money to be made here. Infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, the infrastructure of cannabis. So um, this legislation, let me get to the name of it, uh, H.R. 1595, the Secure and Fair Enforcement Banking Act, will help banks support cannabis-related businesses, CRBs. It'll help bring them into the federal banking system by making sure that if they follow the rules, banks will not get in trouble if they, for example, set up a checking and a savings account for a cannabis dispensary. Right. Something like that. So, uh, I mean, NAR is not taking a position on it. We're still looking into the whole issue. Uh, But it seems to me that kind of makes sense to... uh, where it's legal, because some states, I mean, obviously it's not legal within the country. Some states it is. Hey, let's let let the left bank in states where it is now legal to uh, to grow and to have and use marijuana. Let's allow the bank to support those businesses that that are um, that are thriving. Right. Makes sense to me. Sure. Let's close this out. How do people get in touch with you, Russell? Well, they can certainly uh, shoot me an email if they want. What's your name? It's R-R-I-G-G-S. Double R. Double R. R-R-I-G-G-S. Double G. Double G. At realtors.org. Phone number? 202-383-383. One, two, five, nine. Been a perfect guest today. Thank you for bringing us up to date on legislative issues at the national level. And thank you for all the work you do and all the people up there on the staff. Um, you, you wouldn't believe how much we appreciate you. And for those realtors out there, please give to RPAC and help out. It's, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I do it every year. I've done it since I've been uh, a licensed realtor. And, uh, when I make more, I give more, and it's just the way it is. But uh, it's worthy cause. Thank you for joining us today. Let us know how you like the show. If you have any guests or topics you'd like to suggest, we would appreciate them. All questions are welcome, and all of our guests may be emailed with your questions or concerns as well. This show is for the public and, most importantly, for real estate agents who do not have a source for land education. This is the source. Rodney, how do they get in touch with us? 
Well, they can tune you in every Saturday morning from 9 to 10. And also, they can hear it worldwide on the Simple Radio app. So if they go to the Simple Radio app and put in WKTE 1090, Mm-hmm. They can download that. They can listen to it anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world. Now, after we broadcast, this show is going to be broadcast on the 27th, okay? right? Mm-hmm. Then uh, we uh, download that, and I do, uh, on my master website, which is www.letstalkland.net, L-E-T-S, no apostrophe, talkland.net. Also downloaded on Podbeam, Spotify, Facebook, and other sources. My email is lou, L-O-U, at mylandpro.com. My cell number is 336-669-1405. Teresa, thank you, Rodney. And thank you to our little doggies that helped out today. And we'll see you next week. Thank you, Russell. Thank you. So we were going to talk about RPAC. Uh, Open the door. Well, I think, yeah, what we were just talking about, um, you know, in terms of the uh, forging relationships uh, in Congress on the Hill, Congress people are, you know, primary vehicle for doing that is RPAC. Um, that's the Realtors Political Action Committee, and um, you know, it's uh, it's been around for many years, and it is the largest PAC in the country. Really? In terms of yeah, in terms of providing um, you know contributions to political candidates, uh, as well as uh, sitting congressmen and senators. That was started in 73. I'm, I was looking at my notes. Yeah, right, right. And so it's, um, you know, the other thing, too, is that we, a lot, you know, it's not, I would say it's probably not um, as well known, but still as critically important is the fact that we also uh, get very involved and are very active in campaigns at the state and local level. Right. Uh, state representatives. State senators, uh, local Congress, uh, county council type people, county city, city council, and you know these are the folks that are going to be moving up in the political hierarchy over the years. Right. So it's good to get you know to um, make sure they they know who we are and what we're doing and what we stand for early on in their political career. And as they move up the ladder from city council to state senator to governor to congressman and senator, all along we have contributed to their campaigns and and, and helped them get where they're going, uh, where they're where they're going. And you know the other important aspect of RPAC that we have to make sure understand people people understand is it is bipartisan. Um, we don't really uh, look at parties so much as we look at their positions on issues of importance and concern to realtors and real estate. This is for realtor candidates only, right? Uh, n- no, no, it's for, no, it, it's, I mean, candidates who are realtors? Right. No, no, this is, I mean, uh, we uh, contribute to campaigns of all sorts of people. What's the criteria? Uh, Do you know? Well, we have a whole list of questions that we ask them. Gotcha. Um, and uh, if they answer those questions to our satisfaction, uh, then we'll consider contributing to them. I see. The other thing, too, is is their votes on and their actions on Issues, local yeah. ordinances or state legislation or right. federal legislation that is of importance to realtors and real estate. And if they are I voting you. in favor of uh, the real estate position, uh, then, you know, that's another um, Feather in the important cap. factor that we take into account yeah. when, they're thinking, when we're thinking about contributing to their campaign. You know, are they taking a position favorable to realtors and so and so again that you know real estate and these issues uh span ide ideology you know it's not just liberal conservative democrat republican um i see right here i was just pulled up some stuff it's uh 51 in 2020 federal federal races okay 
there was 51% on behalf of Democrats and 49% on behalf of Republicans. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's about as bipartisan as Yeah, I'd as say. Yeah. I mean, you could have done a half, you know, like yeah. 50 I mean, and a half and this, this, 49 and a half. The reason why we do that <laughs> is, uh, yeah, the reason why we do that is the fact that Things, power changes constantly in D.C., you know. One year, one party's up and the other's down. The next I've year noticed that over the last 72 the years. <laughs> and, so, and so you never know who's going to be in power at any given time. So we make our friends before we need them. Sure. And, uh, and it just reflects our, uh, I think it also reflects the association's diversity. Yes. Uh, it reflects uh, the reality of uh, real estate in a in our society. And so it really is, uh, you know, uh, our PAC is critical to our ability to to make sure that Washington D.C. is making laws and regulations that benefit home ownership that benefit property rights and benefit realtors and make and make uh, real estate development an ongoing economic powerhouse. Very important. I was going back in the stats. I've, I've got to go back uh, just to correct something. It says in 1943, to assist the federal government in providing housing for members of the armed forces and other activities in support of the war. And then in 69, the association formed the Realtor State Political Action Committee, RPAC, to solicit voluntary contributions from the association members, which is where the money comes from. And if you are a realtor, please consider donating. Now, this is not tax deductible, right? Uh, the donations are not a write-off. They're a contribution. No, that's correct, yeah. Okay? Yeah. So when you write the check, don't give it to your, your accountant to use as credit, <laughs> right. okay? Yeah, no, <laughs> it won't work. Yeah, but, you know, this is a pack. It's a pack. It's a political contribution. So that's important. But they pull the funds to make contributions, as you said. Now, the National Association of Realtors is also international, right? Yes. Yeah, we have. Yeah. So well, does, does our pack uh, get involved in anything exactly. outside of the 50 states? Right. Well, it's international in the sense that we help create. Uh, associations and real estate groups and associations in other parts of the country. Okay. But, I mean, other parts of the world. Right. But, but RPAC yeah. money's not going for that, right? That's correct. That's a separate fund. Uh, well, I mean, it's not really a fund. It's Or separate. We help. I mean, it's a separate program. Right, which is mostly volunteer. Uh, that's something people don't realize, too, that other than you know, uh, the staff members at the national, state, and local level, 90% of it, 95%, maybe 98%, it's all volunteers. I mean, I'm on, I've been on two yeah. or three, still on two or three committees, the Commercial Forms Committee, the NCRCA Committee, uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, Grievance Committee, National uh, you know, Grievance Committee. And that's all volunteer. Um, our our, our uh, RLI chapter, Carolina's chapter in North and South Carolina, I've been on that board since 1998 and president twice, and I don't get paid for that. Yeah, I mean, it's really amazing how much uh, work uh, members of, uh, of NAR and RLI and the other uh, affiliated associations, how much work the members put into creating uh, these organizations. I mean, yeah, staff is uh, a small part of that. For the most part, it's members, you know, taking time out of their out of their lives, out of their business, taking time, sacrificing time away from their family to uh, participate in meetings and and uh, do it what the association needs to be done, the work of the association. Um, you know, it's really actually pretty amazing. One NAR now has about one little over one point five million members, making it the largest trade association in the country, and uh, really only a relatively small number of members actually are involved in the management, kind of keeping the balls up in the air, keeping the trains running on time. You That's know, I mean, we have uh, about 10,000 people come to our uh, 
legislative meeting, meetings, with, which we just had a couple weeks ago in Washington, D.C., uh, and again, it's only, I mean, that's only a small uh, sliver of the total number of members. So I don't know, I can uh, name, I don't know that I can name one person at the uh, national or state level or even MLS level that's a realtor. They're staff. They're not mm-hmm. licensed realtors. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just goes to show you that, uh, you know, and I am always encouraging people when I find they're a realtor, I always ask them if I'm, you know, at a party or whatever, and I say, gee, are you involved at NAR? Are you involved at the state level? Oh, no, I don't have time to do that. I, uh, you know, I'm busy selling real estate or whatever. I'm like, you know, it's an important, uh, you should make a little bit of time. Sure, of course. You pay your dues to be a, you know, to be a a realtor and be part and of And you have it. issues, you have that's issues that you're concerned about. Et what a great place to voice them and be part of and help build yeah. it. Exactly. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm the land person for the state of North Carolina. I'm not being braggadocious, but, you know, joined the Commercial Forms Committee. And I've been on it since 08. And I brought the land information worksheet. I can't get it to the daggum disclosure. We've got some political problems on that. But, but hey, maybe you can help out with that. But, uh, yeah. you know. But you give back. I mean, this radio station, I've got over $40,000 I've donated, you know, for this show. I pay for it. I don't get paid for, to do this. You know, I'm giving back. I want to give back. And, and uh, yeah. the more you give, the more you get. It, That's uh, right. I mean, yeah, you more, the more you put into it, the more you're going to get back. That's the way it works, definitely. So, uh, anyway, we just want to encourage... If you're a realtor out there, and we have a worldwide following, by the way, uh, and uh, definitely national, because uh, we do shows all over the world, and, and of course interview uh, folks all over the all over the United States. Uh, but um, uh, if you are a realtor out there, uh, you know, get involved in NARPAC. If you're not, uh, if you got any problems with it, call me. I'll help you think it through. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, it's at right. Least- well, yeah. I mean, and um, you know, there's a process. That by which our PAC uh, at the state and local level makes their decisions about um, who we're going to give money to. Sure. Um, and that can sometimes be pretty contentious, uh, but you know it's a democracy, and and that's you know we're we certainly if you're um, not happy with how our PAC money is being used, by all means. And that's all volunteer. That's all volunteer too, isn't it? Put your yeah, throw your two cents in there. I mean, our our PAC. Committee group uh, organization, that's uh, staff people, right? They're not real. Yeah, it's a it's a or a combination. Well, no, it's, yeah, it's a. There are committees that um, uh, made up of members who make the decisions about where the RPAC money is going to go. Okay, and that's nationwide. Members, not staff. Yeah, that's nationwide. Yeah. Each state. Yeah, they, each state well, has a committee, yeah. right? You know, based on the local level, like. Uh, uh, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina, um, has a board of realtors, and they there's a separate RPAC committee for Charlotte, North Carolina board of realtors, and they will make that decision. I got you as to who they're going to contribute to. But and again, based on uh, the questionnaire that these candidates uh, answer, based on their past voting record, based on their uh, positions on realtor issues, uh, and if they all meet that meet those various criteria, doesn't matter whether Democrat or Republican. If they're supporting realtor issues, um, then they're um, you know then we're going to look very favorably on that. Sure, what a beautiful thing, huh? I just love to be in one of those meetings and watch the operation and the discussion and the back and forth and the decision making. It's got to be fascinating. And you probably how many people yeah. are, how many people are we looking at annually or during the political cycle that we're supporting? Is it five hundred? Is it thousand? Do you have any idea? Mm. Uh, you know, I don't have a really good idea about that. Okay. But, um, you know, something like this. I know that you know this is an election year. Two thousand two is election year, so there are a lot of races going on. You know, everybody is. Um, a lot of governor's races, everybody in the House of Representatives is up. So uh, it's a very active time right now. 
there's a lot of political activity going on and and uh, lots of um, lots of discussions about what's going to happen in the house and senate and we can, is it going to flip is it not uh or you know is, uh how tight some you know some races are really tight and some races are wide open sure. it just depends. so there's a lot of that kind of discussion going on right now gotcha well we're going to end another session here Hey, our guest today is Russell Riggs. He's the uh, National Association of Realtor Senior Regulator and Policy Representative. And next we're going to get into uh, the presentation that you made very timely uh, in uh, March. Uh, and uh, this is your fifth show. <laughs> so uh, you're setting records here yeah. on Let's Talk Land. Hey, we'd like to thank our sponsor, LandHub.com. Looking to sell your land? Try LandHub.com. Let's Talk Land weekly land education talk show devoted to learning about land and farms, buying and selling, and ownership, especially for real estate agents and realtors. Learn from the experts, guys. This is free land education. Hi, my name's Lou Jewell. I'm an accredited land consultant along with my co-host, Teresa Martin, who's really out selling real estate today. She's a hustler. We serve western Piedmont, North Carolina, and southern Virginia. Just give us a shout. We'll help you out. All of our shows are dedicated to the Realtors Land Institute. Our national website is www.rliland.com. Now, you listen to me. If you're buying or selling land or farms, okay, go to that website. It's, we have uh, over 1,700 members and over 585 accredited land consultants nationwide. Identify one of those. They'll save you money. If you're buying, and they'll make you more if you're selling, because we know how to play the game. Hey, we'd like to thank our sponsor, LandHub.com. Buying or selling land, LandHub is the place to be. Our guest today is Russell Riggs. Welcome, Russell. Hey, Lou. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Where are you calling from? I am calling from my home in Falls Church, Virginia, which is just outside of Washington, D.C., yeah, I think you kind of go over there once in a while, don't you? Yeah, every once in a while I got to cross the river. Yeah, I hear you. Hey, welcome. This is your fifth show on Let's Talk Land. For those right. who want to make a note and follow the progression, uh, it's podcast 19, podcast 63, podcast 103, and podcast 141, and this is podcast 176. So uh, you hold the record, Russell. Thank you. Well, we're honored to have you. That just shows how important you are and what you do. Uh, well, thank you. Great to be on. Yes, sir. Yes. Russell's a, a National Association of Realtors. That's our, what, 1.4, 1.5 million? Hey. 1.5. Oh, geez, we got it from 1.5. 1. 5 Holy oh. mackerel. We got 108,000 yeah. realtors in North Carolina, so we're part of that number. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> You're the Senior Regulatory and Policy Representative for the National Association of Realtors, and you, I guess, kind of specialize on the land side for the Realtors Land Institute and for right. land issues, right? Yeah. For over 25 years, Russell has advocated on behalf of the Realtors on energy, environment, property rights, immigration, natural resources, including issues before Congress and federal legislator agencies. Russell also serves as an advocate liaison for the Realtors Land Institute, the National Association of Realtors Global and Business Affairs Group, and the National Association of Realtors Resort and Second Home Group. Prior to his position in NNR, Russell held positions with the United States Department of Energy, the Council for State Governments, the National Governors Association, and the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. What a background. Thank you. Yeah. Russell Russell holds a degree with Virginia Commonwealth University and master's degrees from Tufts University and NYU, which is right down the street where I lived for 10 years in Manhattan. That's right. West 69th Street between Central Park and yeah. Columbus. Yeah. In a nice floor through brownstone with uh, with a northern uh, with a southern uh, uh, garden. Had a peach tree wow. had peaches on it when I moved there in 74. Hey, you know, it was a depressed area in 1974. 
I think my rent was uh, five twenty-five. It went to five thirty-five, <laughs> and then it went to seven fifty and stayed there. And in nineteen uh, seventy-eight, they did a red herring, and I could have bought that unit, ground floor unit. The stoop had been taken off, and I had access through my kitchen to the basement, which had a bedroom that had been uh, scuttled uh, and a half bath. So it would have been a three and a half, I mean, three bedroom, three and a half bath garden apartment. And guess what I could have bought it for? $128,000. Yeah. That place now is probably worth $5 million. Oh, easy. <laughs> easy. I'm not kidding. But, but that's, that's after renovations. All right. All right. <laughs> so I just want to touch on this before you get into your presentation. And, Russell, we have an annual land conference, the Realtors Land Institute, uh, where we all get together. Uh, and I think we were, we were in San Antonio, Texas, back the first week in March of uh, this year. And uh, of our 1,700 members, Russell, I think we exceeded over 400 and something, you know, uh, which was unprecedented. And uh, everybody, we'd all been pinned up, and everybody wanted to get together because it is a family reunion, isn't it? Yeah. That was a that was a great meeting uh, in San Antonio, and I think that's the biggest one you've ever had. I think so, or next yeah. two is real close. Real yeah, close. Uh, I mean, I've been doing. We've been RLI has been doing that meeting for probably fifteen, sixteen years. That's correct. Uh, first one, the very first one was in San. Antonio. That's correct. Yeah, it sure was. Uh, so yeah, so it's uh, well, and I think that also reflects the. The Realtors Land Institute in, uh, itself is getting bigger. Oh, yeah. We're over 1,700 members. You go yeah. back three years ago, we were barely, you know, 1,200. I mean, I can remember a time when it was less than 1,000. Oh, yeah, me too. Of, I've been a member since uh, 1998. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's growing, and it's, uh, uh, it reflects the fact that land is becoming a much more uh, – higher visibility real estate play. What's interesting you mentioned that, yeah. Russell. Uh, I, I, for some reason, the last couple of years, I've really gotten into YouTube. And I, I tell you, I wish I'd done it a lot longer. It's amazing the stuff you can find on there. But uh, I, I picked up a couple of financial shows that aren't on the regular networks. And for years, you know, I think maybe once every two or three years on a financial show, where should you invest and and, um, and, you know, they would go through the traditional stuff, and they might mention land, okay? But here in the last six months, it's consistent. I mean, even uh, in our presentation, uh, Dr. Marco Dozer, uh, who's a, an economist that speaks uh, uh, actually after you normally, and uh, we saved the best for last. You guys are the <laughs> last two speakers yeah. on the last day, and uh, which is great. But... Um, um, you know, the thing he started out with is I know what you're going to ask is what are you going to do with your money with the upcoming tides? And, uh, and he said it's, you know, hard assets and land. Yeah. And that's what I'm hearing on the national uh, talk shows. Yeah. Money is running to land. Yeah. That's where it's going. I mean, big time. Uh, it's, it's, it offers uh, stability. In tumultuous economic times. Well, I can attest to that. I mean, my mother's family, uh, we have a little over 900 acres that grandfather and great-granddad bought uh, 18 farms between 1909 and 1929. The last acquisition that granddaddy bought was 300 acres on a little river, Fisher River, mostly timber, and, um, and he paid $3,500 for it. Eleven dollars and seventy-seven cents an acre. Timber's been cut on it twice. We have uh, uh, timber, ag, pasture deferments. Taxes on it are around two hundred and eighty dollars a year, even today. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. That's a drop in the bucket. <laughs> yeah, and if I put it on the market, I'd probably get one eight, maybe two million for it. And if yeah. you run that That's since right. twenty-nine, you're way over six percent re annual in return appreciation. Plus, you've got the enjoyment of the property. I mean, what's wrong with exactly. this? Exactly. Yeah, and it's a it's a renewable uh, resource too because 
whatever is on there, you know, either it's like you said, you had timbered it twice. Sure. Uh, there could be um, other uh, types of resources, renewable resources you could extract from it. Exactly. Uh, you have the recreational value of just enjoying out in the woods or hunting and yep. fishing, things like that. If the manage, if the property is uh, is managed for those purposes, so. Um, and I know, like, there's big plantations, for example, down in Georgia, that are managed specifically for fishing and hunting. Exactly. People, uh, they own it, and then they, you know, lease it out, track it out, yep. groups, lease it out to groups, and come on down and hunt deer, or do deer hunting, or turkey hunting, or anything. Sure. Um, you know, people will pay a pretty penny for that because um, it's probably still good and managed specifically for that purpose so uh, and at the same time you're you're preserving uh, you know a beautiful ecosystem exactly so it's kind of a win, kind of a win-win for everybody exactly and you know there's I've uh, got a couple shows on this but you know this carbon credit stuff is really uh, finally taken off in terms of uh, yeah I, I ran across a company down in uh, Houston Texas a couple years ago and their claim to fame was they were like one of the first true clearinghouses for carbon credits uh, based mm, on the fact that I, they finally internationally had approved the equipment that can monitor that, which is a five-year process is my understanding is. So uh, they, they are a clearinghouse down there. But, you know, there's timber mm, carbon credits. There's farming carbon credits. Uh, you know, just if yep. you own a timber track, you know, and, and, and uh, I believe it's uh, – I think it was 60 years instead of harvesting like on plantation pines and stuff. I think if you held it for 60 years, there were some carbon credits for that because you're not disturbing the soil. Right. And then you got the no-till and the no-till. Yeah. Yeah. The other aspect of that is uh, the renewable energy aspect of it. Exactly. uh, Wind turbines Uh or solar panels on there. Sure. uh, You know, uh, create energy. Yeah. I was reading someplace, I need to go back and find it, but, you know, the common thing that I hear uh, in my profession is, well, you know, why should I buy land? You can't make money with it. And then I kind of like, are you ignorant or what? (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't make sense. But there was a list, uh, Russell, that I believe it was 68, identified 68 different things uh, that a land investment, you know, a typical land investment that, uh, you know, I mean, there's a, a, a rainbow of stuff. But uh, types of investments, but uh, but they were all land investments. There's over 68 different things you could do. We just mentioned a few, okay? Yeah. Uh, in order to generate income off a of land investment, we got to talk. And they'll get the mineral rights. That's oh yeah. Other aspect. Sure. Above the ground and below the ground. Above and below. Yeah. You got the ground, then you got above and above and below. The now, Russell, these are some of the things that you're actively involved in for the last 25 years in some respects uh, in terms of uh, promoting, I guess, would be, would that be a good way to describe what you do? You're really a promoter, aren't you? Well, that's certainly part of it. In essence. I mean, I think um, uh, education and promotion of what, of what the issue they is. are and, yeah. and RLI does is a critical, critical aspect of of being a lobbyist or being a you know a government affairs or advocacy person in D.C., you know you got to remember that when a you know some 25 year old kid comes to D.C., he or she doesn't know to be a staffer for a congressperson. They don't know anything. Uh, they just graduated from college or sure. school, and so they have to be educated about realtors, about real estate about uh, all the things we were just talking about, uh, uh, the value of land, what land can do, uh, the economics of land. Um, and we have to continually, I mean, it's an ongoing uh, educational process to make sure that these staffers uh, know who we are, know what we do, and know um, how realtors and real estate um, and land development, understand that process um, and how it adds value uh, to the economy. Because remember, we are a huge part of the uh, the American economy. Uh, land development, development, real estate, you know, billions and billions of dollars each year are devoted to that. So it's a huge piece of the economy. 
So uh, members of Congress and their staff need to understand um, how we contribute to that. Right. Well, so that's an ongoing process. I would say. <laughs> I would say. Yeah. Well, and, and that kind of segues into um, um, RPAC. Yeah, we're going to get that in our next segment because yeah. we're finishing up here on this yeah. first one. But, uh, but yeah, we definitely want to. And it's, uh, but that's, a, that's where you spend the majority of your time, isn't it, with the younger generation? Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> I guess well, I can't really. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, yeah, you're, you're not in you're not in the senior uh, uh, senators or congressman's office as much yeah, as you're. I mean, yeah, we're yeah. you know we talk to staff a lot. Yeah, yeah. Staff, All right. We're we're educating and yeah. educating them and and promoting the uh, the value of realtors and the value of real estate yeah. and the value of land development. Our guest today is Russell Riggs, who's. Uh, with our senior regulator at uh, uh, National Association of Realtors, we'd like to thank our 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 host. View thousands of properties for sale at landhub.com.